Today's edition of the Derek Hunter Podcast is brought to you by Life Change Tea. Why go to GetTheTea.com? Because this important news could change your life. Socrates made a statement saying that all disease starts in the gut. Take care of your gut, and well, the rest speaks for itself. Life Change Tea is a wonderful way to aid in your digestion. Brew it, steep it, drink it, and feel it go to work. We at Life Change Tea have been around for years helping people just like you feel better. Lots of testimonials and lots of happy people. Log on to GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. GetTheTea.com. Alrighty, hello again everyone and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the 10th day of March 2022. It's still 2022. Hmm. Feels more like 2023 to me. Anyway, I am Derek Hunter. I appreciate the use of your ears. Thanks for listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Don't forget, what day is today? is Thursday. Holy good Lord, it's a week. Week is flying by. We'll be back. We are back to normal programming today. And that means, although it never suffered... It will be another curse show, the Week in F and Review at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast, posted at midnight Friday for your listening pleasure. And Lord knows we've got so much to curse about this week and the morons in charge. Holy Frank Tanana. Also, you go there, you enter to win the signed copy of either the Ben Carson, Ben and Candy Carson book or... The John Cleese autobiography, autographed by none other than me. No, just kidding. John Cleese himself from Monty Python fame. Five bucks a month. Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast. It, uh, maybe once I get my new studio set up, I'll take some pictures and post them up there too. I always post little things up there for the subscribers as a show of appreciation and answer the messages and all that stuff. So go to Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter Podcast to check it out for yourself. Give it a couple months. You'll become addicted. It's it's like Hunter Biden and crack cocaine without the crack cocaine or Hunter Biden. So there you go. All right, let's uh, start the program. Action-packed program, lots going on. It, uh, you take a couple days off to move. And uh, first of all, you're, I took a bath last night. It's glorious. But uh, you sit there and you go, what's going on in the world? And you know there's a lot going on in the world, but your whole life is consumed with putting things in boxes and lifting them up and taking things out of boxes. And are the cats going to freak out? And the answer always is yes. And so, although they're calming down now, seemingly. So uh, you, you sit there and you lose track of what's going on in the world and you take a look and you go, oh, it's the same stuff going on in the world. The same, it's the same song, different band, different thing. And so we have to uh, talk about the latest updates on the Russia situation with Ukraine. The United States has finally done the one thing that could make a difference on Vladimir Putin, that is ban Russian oil. And you have to wonder what took so long. And then you, you go, okay, I know what took so long. This should have happened before. This should have at least been threatened before. A lot of saber rattling and chest pumping before the invasion of Ukraine, these sorts of things. Remember the Biden administration said, we're going to use, uh, uh, what you call it, uh, sanctions as a deterrent, as a deterrent, as a deterrent. And then they never actually implemented any sanctions that mattered, at least to Putin or to people directly around him. 
And so, and especially the economy as a whole. So then when the invasion happened, Joe Biden said, well, I never meant that there was going to be a deterrent. Like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? You, you, that's all you said. It was like you had Tourette's. It was Pavlovian in your uh, sanctions, deterrent, sanctions, deterrent, sanctions, deterrent. You don't get to say now. We never know. I was just kidding about that. So they, uh, they've now gone to the sanctions, the bans, the actions that will actually make a difference. Or actually, I don't know that it will. Putin, I think, is, has lost a step. I think he's gone mad. I don't think that it's chemical. I don't think it's a deterioration of the brain in the way that Joe Biden's brain is deteriorated. I think it's more that uh, Vladimir Putin has nobody around him who can say no. One of the most important things in anybody's life, especially people in power, and especially people with a lot of money and power, is having people, not just one person, but people around them, multiple people around them who can tell them no. And that won't get their heads cut off. That won't get sent to the gulags or anything like that. But people who can be told, you know, just if you're sitting there going, you know what, I think I'm going to invade Ukraine. And everybody around the table goes, well, that sounds like a capital idea. I love that idea. I wish I'd have thought about it. I was just, this weekend, I was talking to my friends about how I'm going to go invade Ukraine. So this is perfect. If that's all you hear when you say something, you are being ill-served. But the problem is when you hear that long enough, and it starts with the small things, it starts with the laughing at your jokes that aren't really funny. It starts with the, boy, boss, you look great today when you don't. No, man, you're the best. And all that garbage. It starts with the little things, and then it grows from there to the point that there's nobody who can say no. There's nobody willing to say no. It's like, oh, my God. If I somebody maybe said I don't well maybe we should think that through a little bit and they disappeared and so that's it and every bad idea is met with cheers and so what do you get you get more bad ideas there's no refinement of any ideas there's no thoughts of hey maybe we should uh, think about this a little bit more because last time things went wrong no and I think that's kind of what's going on with the military right now because that forty hour a mile convoy making its way or trying, allegedly trying to make its way to Kiev. I, there's no longer stationary object on the face of the earth than the, the Great Wall of China. How is this thing not moving? How long does it take to get gas? I get it. Gas is expensive, but Putin's a an oil exporter. You would think, you know, fewer countries buying his gasoline right now, he could probably uh, give everybody in Russia free gas. The problem is it was so poorly planned that it's like a two and three lane road that is, I don't think it's paved all the way. And so there are parts of it where there are three vehicles wide sitting there waiting for supplies to get resupplied. They're just sitting there. And what happens when there are three vehicles on a two or three lane road? Well, trying to get past them is kind of tough. See, if you can't go to the, I mean, I guess you could go to the last car in the caravan and give that a bunch of gas, uh, but that's not going to move the, unless you're willing to go backwards, that's not really going to move the convoy because you need the gas up front. But getting the gas up front makes it very, very difficult. You could form the longest, world's longest sort of uh, fireman's chain and just hand... (laughs) 
gallons of gasoline 40 miles up there until you get enough to start the tanks and get them rolling. But the prob- part of the problem was also the road was supposed to be frozen, but thanks to an ask by Xi Jinping to not invade during the Olympics, they missed it and it started to thaw. So these vehicles not only are stuck and out of gas, when you do get the gas, a lot of them have sunk in the muck of spring, as we're experiencing here on the East Coast now. It's rainy and muddy and you go step out in the grass and it's that kind of feel. Now imagine being in however heavy a tank is. I imagine it's a little bit more than a Toyota. And uh, you start sinking in. So you get the gas. And then what do you do? How do you get out? Tanks have a, a good shot at it, but it's not all tanks. It's trucks. There's all sorts of things. So even if they eventually do get the gas, they're going to have a hell of a time getting out of there. And you sit there and you think, how did this happen? How the hell did the Russian military get so seemingly incompetent? And the answer is what I was talking about. There's nobody around to tell Vladimir Putin no. When Vladimir Putin goes out and goes, I'm going to go inspect the troops. I shall go inspect the troops, comrade. We shall look at the troops. We'll show the whole world. Have a parade. We'll do a parade and we'll show the whole world how strong our military is. Well, you know what? I'm pretty sure you give me 50 guys, I can get them marching in line in a couple of hours, right? Right past the reviewing stand. That's pretty easy to do. They could even carry a rifle or a hockey stick or something on their shoulder. No problem. I get them to turn right, turn left, stop, stand at attention. I could train them in that in a couple hours. Getting them to do anything beyond that, complex military maneuvers, breaking up into platoons and and uh, you know, in fighting a ground war, probably take a little bit longer than that. There's a good possibility that the Russian military simply isn't up to the task. That the Russian military, for, you know, as jerkish as Vladimir Putin has been over his tenure, they've really only rolled into Georgia and Crimea and a couple of small places where there really was no military resistance to speak of. So their victories were overwhelming. So against nothing. It's like, yeah, me and uh, a whole bunch of professional football players beat the hell out of this Pop Warner kid team of 12-year-olds. It was, it was a slaughter. It was, you know, 97 to 12. Don't ask how they got 12 points. But that was what it was. Like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But uh, should you really be pre- – does that tell you anything about your team's ability? No, it doesn't. Remember during the Gulf War, either Gulf War, what were we told? The Republican Guard over there, Saddam's, those were the creme de la creme. Look, the Iraqi military is nothing to sniff at. They rolled into Kuwait with no problem. Anybody could roll into Kuwait. You could get off the plane in, uh, in Kuwait and probably command and demand the surrender of the Kuwaiti government, and you stand a pretty good chance of, of getting it. But uh, the idea that the Iraqi military was something to be feared because of the Republican Guard's reputation in fighting Kuwait and Iran. Maybe this also tells us something about Iran. I don't know. Maybe they're all as weak. We seem to have the only military that trains for actual combat and can execute those combat missions when the politicians allow them to, which is a big, you know, it's not an if, but a big when, because our politicians don't often allow us to. We got into the quagmire in Afghanistan and Iraq, not because, oh, we met overwhelming resistance and boy, it was just so tough to fight. No, 
Muqtadr el-Sadr, whatever the hell his name was, uh, was in his mosque running an insurgency, and we couldn't go into his mosque. Why? Oh, because we'd upset the locals. Oh, so he can kill Americans willy-nilly, but if we set foot in a mosque, or they can shoot out from the mosque, but we can't shoot into the mosque because, oh my goodness, these people whose country we invaded might be upset. Well, you know what? Uh, take the hit. Blow up the thing, kill the bastard, and uh, say, sorry about that, and uh, we'll help you rebuild your mosque if you want. Otherwise, here's money. Go ahead, rebuild your mosque. Maybe, just maybe, don't let your mosques harbor terrorists. You know, that might be a good message to send to terrorists is that there's no safe harbor for anybody simply because somebody declared these four walls better than other four walls or different from other four walls. But we didn't. So the reason we had problems in our military is the politicians back home scared to death of what their polling numbers will be and how the uh, the footage and the media. I think the biggest mistake in our wars actually was the transparency, just being perfectly honest, the embedding. Remember, oh, they're all, all these journalists were rushing to be embedded in the Iraq war and in Afghanistan. They want to be embedded with the troops, embedded with the troops. And they got along with the troops well, but they were not the troops' friends. They were not never the troops' friends. They never should have been there. They never should have been there at all. Uh, we don't need to know exactly what's going on until we've won. Then you can go back and do an autopsy if you want. But the most important thing is that we win. It is not win the hearts and minds of people there or win the hearts and minds of people here. It is win the physical battle, kill more of them until they stop fighting or kill all of them so they can no longer fight. That's the purpose of the military, not to win hearts and minds and build schools and all of that. They can do that in their downtime after you've decimated the enemy. But that's not how our politicians let our military fight, which is sad, pathetic, dangerous, and all of that. Over in Russia and maybe Iran, we don't know about China yet, but I'm sure China's watching what Russia's going through with keen interest. And there's no amphibious assaults yet, but I can tell you that they're paying attention to what's going on in their supply chain issues because these countries have big militaries. Big militaries don't necessarily mean effective militaries. Russia has not been, I suspect with all the corruption over there, not been making their, keeping their military in tip-top shape a top priority. Why? Why bother? They have a big enough military. They're, they're messing with the Balkans. They're messing with former satellites. They're messing with small provinces of, of smaller countries. You, you can take those. It's like picking a fight with Ohio. You got this thing. You don't have to worry about it. So they're not ready for serious resistance. They're not capable of handling it, maybe. I don't know. I hope I'm right. I think when Putin wants to see the troops, he sees the best troops. Whoever's in charge of the troops says, get me the best, get me the, the most in shape, hide the fat guys, hide the people who are lazy, the ones who can't change a tire, get rid of them, bring in the good ones, and then, all right, look at these troops. Now let's make a propaganda video. Let's make sure that the people who don't trip over their own feet are the ones in the video and the other ones aren't. Because I've seen some videos of the Russian military and thought, these guys are pretty badass. These guys are pretty badass. And then... You sit there and you look at the POWs who've turned themselves in and you're sitting there going, that guy's like 48. Looks like he drinks, I don't know, six to a 12 pack on a Friday night. Not exactly the hardened dude climbing the fence 
in a 10-foot fence in about a half a second that you see in these promotional videos. You might be a crack shot, who knows? But it's not what it was billed. You know, the kids in Red, the Wolverines in Red Dawn could easily take this guy. So that could be what's going on over there. I don't know. It would be nice if that's what's going on over there. Uh, but if that's what's going on over there, you can count on Russia discovering this. Putin making some heads roll, which might actually cause some of those people whose heads would roll who've been hiding this from Putin to go, we need to make a move on Vlad before he discovers that we've been lying to him. That's a problem with corrupt government is you take the money, you take the power, you take the equipment and you, if everybody's stealing, if you're working at a, if you're working at a retail store and everybody's dipping into the till, why don't you? What, what's what's going to stop, aside from your morals, what's going to stop you? So if the government of Russia is corrupt and you see all this corruption in the military and you say, oh, all right, well, I can sell these or I can take this money, I can do that, I can overbill, you can do all sorts of things. And for the longest time, you get away with it because nobody expects your troops to be able to do anything, to be able to drive a straight line into a country and make sure that everybody has enough gas. And suddenly they go, oh, man, we got to get in there and make sure that we drive in this straight line and have enough gas and we're not prepared for it. Leaves a, leaves a mark. Maybe, you know, we should have taken this lesson about Iran from Iraq if Iraq fought to a stalemate for like nine years, 10 years, whatever it was with Iran, with the people we simply rolled over in a long weekend, maybe we uh, overestimated Iran. If Russia can't roll into Kiev inside of a week, let alone two, then maybe we've seriously overestimated Russia. Now, the difference being... Russia has nukes, so, you know, the the wussy, the, the giant wussy is only so much of a wussy because he's crazy and he's got nukes, whereas Iran, thank God they don't have nukes yet, although Joe Biden's trying his damnedest to get him to him. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what's going on over there when it all shakes out and when we have a chance to look back on it. Of course, I don't have any faith in this government being able to make that kind of analysis just because, well... They're kind of stupid. I'm going to play you some audio now from the President of the United States. Apologize in advance, Joe Biden. It's, uh, I feel like it's elder abuse every time you play something from this guy. But I got a couple of clips here for him or from him to illustrate where the left is going on this thing because I don't know. I used to get gas. There was a gas station near the old house uh, about a week ago. It was 3.33, and I filled up every chance I saw, because everywhere else it was like 3.60-something. 3 and so I thought, oh, this is good. Maybe this gas station will be uh, lower. It turns out maybe they were just slow, because they're right there with everybody else now. Last time, two days ago, they were at 4.17 or something like that. It's to the point that I don't, I no longer feel compelled to get gas. I, like, I can just go to another station i can go anywhere and uh, it's pretty standard i haven't been out uh, last two days so maybe it's gone up even more wouldn't surprise me we're apparently at a new record for national average congratulations joe biden kamala harris just as the media always says you're historic and I, oh it's the historic vice presidency of kamala harris the historic presence everything they do is historic you notice that nothing 
Nothing Trump did was considered historic. I mean, not even, they never referred to it. Oh, this is a historic meeting, a historic this, a historic that. It was, it was they just didn't really use that word. But every time it's a historic uh, solid BM this morning for the president of the United States, the Miralax has really kicked in. Like, oh, wow. Congratulations, Joe. You're such a big boy. I mean, yeah, you messed the bed. But hey, you know, baby steps. Uh, and that's how he walks when he does his business in his pants when he's with the Pope, his baby steps. But it, it's so ridiculous that they just talk, oh, it's historic, a historic visit to the southern border for the vice president. Why? Why is it historic? It just is. A historic this, a historic that. Well, historic gas prices. They've hit historic highs. You don't really hear that word negatively when referred to a Democrat. All-time highs, things like that, yes. But not historic. I think it's pretty historic because it's self-inflicted in many, many ways. But in his announcement that he was banning Russian oil, which I don't have a problem with. I think it was long overdue. He should have done it. And the only reason he didn't do it before was he was hoping to avoid any political consequences from even higher gas prices. Uh, so either you want to lead or you don't want to lead. I don't care which. Just you don't get to do both simultaneously. So just listen to him in his... Uh, Little speech yesterday where he didn't take any questions. He sort of waddled off quickly, couldn't answer any questions. Massive implications of what he's doing for the American people. God forbid he answer any questions on the cuff, off the cuff about that. But here he is calling it a Putin gas hike. Since Putin began his military buildup on Ukrainian borders, just since then, the price of the gas at the pump in America went up 75 cents. And with this action, it's going to go up further. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home. In coordination with our partners, we've already announced that we're releasing 60 million barrels of oil from our joint oil reserves. Half of that, 30 billion, million, excuse me, is coming from the United States. It sounds to me like he's saying that we're going to release, well, he is saying that we're going to release 30 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Fine. But to the world? Are we releasing it to the world? Why in the hell would we release it to the world? These are not barrels of oil that the United States has mined, has drilled. These are things that the United States has purchased and held in case of emergency. It's already paid for, not saying you shouldn't dump it out for free or what have you, but we sure as hell shouldn't put it on the open market for the rest of the world to consume, should we? No, we absolutely should not. It's not going to make a whole lot of difference, but it could make some difference, especially if it is explicitly and expressly kept here in the United States of America. Sold at the price that it was purchased at or something like that so we can recoup that money so it's not a loss for the government, but... It's not a profit-making industry or enterprise for the government or oil companies who would eventually be the ones who'd buy it, presumably. It doesn't say. It doesn't get into it. They're just calling it Putin's gas. You know, since Putin invaded, it's gone up 75. Okay, what about the other dollar twenty-five? What about the other dollar twenty-five, Joe? Before that had nothing to do with Putin, that had to do with inflation, that had to do with your mismanagement, had to do with your Canceling of pipelines and ending of drilling leases and everything like that. What about that? Is anything to say about that, Joe? 
Any concern about those things? Nope, not really. It's kind of weird. It's kind of weird. Isn't it? It's as if he forgets, well, he might forget sometimes, that he is not, that he is President of the United States. Just true. True. Now, when the President lies, well... Let's listen to the president lie before we explain the president's lies, shall we? He went on to talk about how his policies have nothing to do with oil prices or cuts in production. It's already kind of established that's a load of BS. But listen to the president try to make this declaration. Look, let me be clear about uh, two other points. First, it's simply not true that my administration or policies are holding back domestic energy production. It's simply not true. It's simply not true. He doesn't go on to explain how it's simply not true. He just declares it. And for the most part, for liberals, that's good enough. It's simply not true. It's simply not true. Um, yes, as I've said a million times, the price of oil is in the futures market based off of what it will be selling for, what it's worth, what it will cost in the future. Uh, you're buying barrels of oil. It's not going into gas tanks today. <clears throat> Many places you're not even buying actual literal barrels of oil. You're buying future barrels of oil, the oil futures market. You're speculating on what the price will be in the future. And when you have incompetent politicians like Joe Biden running things, you can speculate that the worst case scenario for consumers will probably come to pass. That being said, the actions taken by a government that will impact not only the immediate short term but the long term something the government governments in general never think about have impact they matter so if you cancel all future and all existing leases oil drilling leases on federal lands uh, that's going to have an impact not today because there was no oil coming out of the ground today on those things, or all offshore drilling in the future. It's not today, but the future. Well, guess what that does to future prices, right? Hmm? When you cancel drilling in Anwar, hmm? when you cancel the Keystone XL pipeline, I say, well, it wasn't even pumping any oil, right? No, it wasn't. It was just approaching that. It was getting to the point where it could have soon. And now it won't. So what uh, was already factored in there in the price of oil at one point when Trump had approved the Keystone XL pipeline was, hey, uh, we're going to be getting oil from this, getting some, getting this oil to refineries to make it into gasoline. So that impacted the price of gasoline. Then you take that away and guess what? That impacts the price of oil and impacts the price of gasoline. It has everything to do with Joe Biden's policies. Now, this is the way the media is soft-pedaling it. Bloomberg, they have a reporter, Paul Takashi, Tahasha, I don't know how to pronounce, doesn't matter. His headline, Biden administration is misusing facts on oil permits, API says. They never do a direct fact check. And the American Petroleum Institute, oh, we'll quote them, and then we can say that. That way, if anybody accuses us of running blocker for the Biden administration, so what are you talking about? We reported on what API said. 
So the head of the biggest U.S. oil lobbying group says the Biden administration is, quote, misusing facts when it claims the industry has more than 9,000 federal drilling permits on which it can drill to boost supply and ease soaring energy prices. Mike Summers, the chief executive officer of the American Petroleum Institute, who was in Houston Monday for whatever, blah, 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 said the industry is using higher percentage of federal offshore and offshore leases than at any time in the past, and it's continuing to increase production to meet surging demand. The Biden administration has repeatedly pointed to the number of approved but not tapped drilling permits on federal land when questioned about how U.S. production can rise and what the federal government can do to help. Quote, There's a fundamental misunderstanding of this administration as to how the process actually works. There is no misunderstanding. That's what Summer said. There is no misunderstanding. They know what they're doing. They're hoping the American public doesn't know what they're doing. They're hoping the American public doesn't become educated. An uneducated consumer is the best voter for Democrats. Quote, just because you have a lease doesn't mean there's actually oil and gas in that lease. And there has to be a lot of development that occurs between the leasing then ultimately permitting for that uh, acreage to be productive. I think that they're purposefully misusing the facts here to advantage their position. Well, no, uh, no feces, Sherlock. But that's just one example of how the Biden administration is lying. You hear Ginger Goebbels all the time. There's 9,000 leases out there that they're not using. Why aren't they using them? You got a lease for a plot of land. You Guess what? There's no guarantee there's oil on it. Hmm? You got to go out there. If there is oil on it, you can't just go. It's not like uh, you just bought a, a Slurpee and you just slap a straw in there and start sucking away and going, yeah, this is great. We got this all figured out. No. It takes some time to do these things. Now, you try to sit and do that, what's important, while the government is suing you constantly, while the government is out there threatening you, while the government is empowering left-wing environmentalist groups to sue you on behalf of trees, on, on behalf of animals. And you go, well, all right, we can maybe start pulling some oil out of this place if it exists in about five years. Not saying we shouldn't do those things. I'm a big fan of drilling in Anwar, and we were told for 30 years that we wouldn't see any oil out of there for 10 years. Well, we're we're 30 years on. We ain't seeing any oil out of it because the Democrats continually said, you're not going to see any oil out of Anwar for 10 years. So, yeah, if they've been lying about that for 30 years, what do you think Joe Biden's doing? Actually, just look at Joe Biden's whole life. That's all he does is lie. Speaking of the uh, greedy, greedy oil, it's amazing to me how these leftists, all those greedy oil companies, these greedy oil companies, Mayor Pete's out there basically telling people, just buy an electric car. Like, we can't, electric cars ain't cheap, Pete. We don't all have no-show government jobs where you can take months off because you bought a couple of kids online or whatever, however you got them. You can't... uh, you can't just go, you know what, boss, I'll see you come, uh, I don't know, June-ish, we call it June, and uh, make sure that the direct deposits keep rolling in there. That ain't how life works for everybody else, Pete. We all can't go from failed mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who can't even install a bike path properly to Secretary of Transportation overseeing the collapse of the supply chain in the United States of America and go, eh, 
you know what? It's all just homophobia. No, no, we're, we're afraid of you being incompetent. We're not afraid of you because you're gay. We couldn't care less that you're gay. God, anyway, Rashida Tlaib is one of these people. She is a congresswoman from Michigan. Sadly, she represents the district in which I grew up. Now, things have changed rather dramatically in that old district. And uh, she went railing on, listen to this at the congressional hearing the other day, yesterday. It shows just a fundamental ignorance of markets and economics. And keep in mind, she not only gets a vote in Congress and therefore has a say over the laws that our government imposes on us, she is one of the leading voices on the left on such matters as you listen to this garbage. As you know, the pandemic has been, uh, you know, great for the richest Americans who have lined their pockets and doubled their wealth during the pandemic. As we all know, corporations have the nerve to blame inflation while consolidating their market power and raising the price of essential goods and services while working people put the bill. For me, this is not inflation, it's extortion. It's extortion. We're doing this. We're doing that. It's extortion. No, it has nothing to do with Democrats' incompetence. It's all evil, evil corporations. Now, there's a slice of the American public who are dumb enough to go, yeah, corporations, they're bad. They are the people for whom, you know, like Matt Damon movies are made for. You know, Adam McKay movies, Will Ferrell movies are made for. They go, oh, uh, the evil corporation does this, and the evil corporation is taking barrels full of mercury down to the uh, water supply and dumping it in there every night because they think the best way to grow their company is a whole bunch of dead customers. It's so stupid uh, and so simplistic that kindergartners would see through this. But Rashida Tlaib and the people who vote for her are dumber than kindergartners. Let's be honest. Let's be fair. And so we're dealing with their lies constantly, and they are prevailing in a lot of ways. Oh, it's those evil corporations. By the way, the rich got richer during the uh, pandemic. Yeah, they did. They did. Anybody who had money in the stock market, if you had it in, you know, the obvious stocks like Amazon and Target, the stores that were allowed to keep open. And even there was a lot of money to be made in the stores that were the chains that were damaged during the pandemic because it was an artificial damage. They'd come bouncing back. There probably still are pretty good bargains out there. But these Democrats won't allow you to take, say, 2% of your Social Security money and invested in the stock market, like those rich fat cats, because Jeff Bezos didn't just have a Brinks truck come dump uh, $10 trillion on his front lawn. His value, his net worth is in the stock price of Amazon. Amazon stock, I think, doubled, if not more. If you had put $10,000 from the money that the government has taken from you in the Ponzi scheme known as Social Security, you'd put anything taken any of that money, if you had been allowed to take any of that money and put it in Amazon stock at the beginning of the pandemic, you too would have more than doubled your money. Isn't that weird? These elites making almost $200,000 a year won't allow you to do that because they think intelligence has to do with income. They think if you're making $50,000 a year, you're far too dumb to know how to protect yourself against these uh, scams and buying the next pets.com or whatever. They know best. Government knows best. 
Meanwhile, they're investing in stocks like crazy and getting rich. And here you are sending them back to Washington, D.C. like a sucker. Who's, maybe they are right. Maybe the, a large swath of the American people are dumb. I hope not. Shifting gears, I'll, I'll play some audio from Joy Reid. Because, of course, the left had to make this about race. The left had to make this about race. And it, it goes to everything we've been talking about. Joy Reid is, of course, a horrible person. She's just an awful, awful creature. She sees race in everything. It's kind of funny. She's the woman who's like, oh, Kyle Rittenhouse is a horrible racist. Why? Because he shot three white people? I'm like, no, no, no. It's just racist. Just racist. Okay. Uh, she went on a rant yesterday talking about how people only care about Ukraine but don't care about Yemen because they're white and they're Christian. Some people, maybe. But uh, I don't know that it makes it racist, especially when the left is yelling at you if you're not Chinese and you're eating Chinese food and saying, you're a cultural appropriator. You're a cultural appropriator. Uh, so it's hard to feel sorry for these leftists or feel any sort of kinship with these leftists like this. But I just want to point this out and how absurd the left has gotten when it comes to this and how far they take it. It's judging. It's listen to it. As the world watches the devastation unfold in Ukraine, nearly 4,000 miles away, another crisis is deepening that we don't hear much about in the U.S. And that is the war in Yemen. The coverage of Ukraine has revealed a pretty radical disparity in how human Ukrainians look and feel to Western media compared to their browner and blacker counterparts, with some reporters using very telling comparisons in their analyses of the war. But we don't need to ask ourselves if the international response would be the same if Russia unleashed their horror on a country that wasn't white and largely Christian. Of course, we know that Joy Reid wouldn't care about a country that was white and largely Christian being under attack because everything she cares about has to do with race. But I would also point out that as horrible as the situation is in Yemen, you you have to apply the same rational logic to it. A civil war in Yemen is awful, but it matters to whom? It matters to the people in Yemen, does it not? And anybody who has family in Yemen, I suppose. But otherwise, is there a risk of a wider regional or worldwide conflict? Does one of the factions in the Yemeni civil war have dominating world domination aspirations? Maybe, but are the likelihood that they'll be able to fulfill it next to nothing? Yes, that would be true. The likelihood that they would be able to fulfill those, dom those ideas is next to nothing. So while it's horrible and we should be doing everything we can non-militarily to try to discourage and bring about an end to that war in Yemen, who cares in the geopolitical sense of the term? If Russia marches across Ukraine, then Russia would be controlling and have their military butting right up against Poland, which is a member of NATO, which opens up a whole can of worms about our mutual defense pact. You see, and you also have Vladimir Putin with a very large army, maybe feckless, but still large, and a willingness to keep throwing bodies against an enemy, because why not? And you begin to see that it's a little bit different than a horrible civil war in Yemen, right? If you don't see it, then I can't help you, Joy. Joy Reid can't see it because Joy Reid doesn't want to see it. Joy Reid only wants to see race. That's all she is. That's her whole gimmick. That's why nobody watches her garbage television show and why she's a horrible, horrible person. 
But to sit there and say, well, that's the only, they only care about this because it's white Christians and it's not black and brown people is so stupid as to almost be unworthy of comment. But it has to be commented on because she is on a major television network. And people watch that and people believe that. What is the national security interest for the United States or anywhere about a civil war in Yemen? Quite frankly, would we have any national security interests in a civil war in Canada, aside from keeping it from spilling across the border? I don't think we would, quite frankly. But if somebody invaded, if Russia invaded Canada, then we would have a vested interest in that because it would seem as though it would be a hostile move towards us. That's the difference here, Joy. I understand you're named ironically, and the only way they could have named you more ironically is to name you smart instead of Joy. But uh, it matters. It matters. And it has nothing to do with skin color. I want to shift gears because I didn't want to talk about Ukraine all day. I saw this this morning. Tom Bevan, who is the co-founder of Real Clear Politics. Good dude. I've uh, talked with him a bunch of times, hung out with him once, did some show for uh, Fox's streaming service with him once um, up in New York. He's tweeting this out, and this is, uh, and some people were doubting this. He then had the receipts. He brought the receipts. He said, uh, last night, my fifth grader, told us his vocabulary words for science class this week. And these are the, this is the Chicago area. I don't know what suburb he lives in in Chicago, but it's up in Chicago. So these were the words for vocabulary for science class. Adolescence, consent, transgender, cisgender, and non-binary. You're sitting there like, what in the hell is going on? You have this situation in Florida with the don't say gay bill, as the media calls it. Don't, it's don't say gay. Has nothing to do with don't say gay. Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, tweeted, because the left is, God, they're so superficial, so ridiculous. He just tweeted gay a whole bunch of times. And he typed out gay, I don't know, 40 times in a tweet and sent, sent it. About, oh, wow, you really showed them. And I would say to Luke and any other moronic leftists out there who are now tweeting because they're saying, oh, gay, gay, gay. They're just tweeting gay. I would point out to them that they are the second they hit send or any time thereafter. No one's kicking in their door. No one's knocking on their door going, all right, let's go. You tweeted gay. You said gay. Let's go. Even if you live in Florida, you're still allowed to say gay. You can't call Caitlyn Jenner, Bruce Jenner out in California, but you can say gay to your heart's content down in Florida. But uh, so a whole bunch of leftists were like, yeah, the probability of this happening is uh, zero. Tom, you're lying. You're faking it. So there it is. He then posted a picture of his son's vocabulary list, March 7th through 11th. Adolescence, a noun, a change or period between puberty and adulthood the process uh, or state of growing to maturity. The years when people go through adolescence are usually during middle and high school, it says. This is a science class homework. Cisgender, adjective. When a person's gender identity is the same as their sex assigned at birth. And then the example, my friend is cisgender, cisgender because she identifies as a girl and was assigned the sex of girl at birth. <laughs> Your child, if you says that pull your kid out of school immediately. Uh, transgender, 
adjective, when a person's gender identity is different from their sex assigned at birth. In their example, my friend is transgender because she identifies as female, but her sex assigned at birth was male. Consent. Consent. Well, where is this going to go? Permission for something or uh, to happen or agreement to do something. To permit above, uh, to permit, approve, or agree. I have my grandmother's consent to eat the cookie. Oh, okay. Could go really weird from there. And then finally, non-binary, adjective. Not relating to, composed of, or involving just two things. Noting or relating to a gender identity that does not fit into the binary male or female division. My friend is non-binary because they do not identify as a boy or a girl. This is science class for a fifth a grader, fifth grader, fifth grader. Let that sink in, a fifth grader. Since we're on the uh, this transgender garbage and the don't say gay, all the all these celebrities going, oh, gay, I'm tweeting gay. And they don't seem to recognize that they're free to tweet. Gay. Just like all these people are like, oh, Donald Trump, he's a fascist. He's a, like, he's a totalitarian wannabe. Have you been arrested for it? He's got a massive threat. He's a danger to free press. How? What has he done? What did, he, did he do anything? Did he do something? If he did something, I would be right there with you if he actually did something. But upsetting your sensibilities isn't something. I don't care about your sensibilities, you leftist whiny little babies. But um, I want to, before we get into well, the, uh, I'll save that for a second. The uh, don't say gay bill just says that you cannot talk about these issues. You cannot bring them up. You cannot teach them and not bring them up. Teach them indoctrinate children to anything related to sexuality in kindergarten, first or second grade. That's it. Let kids be kids, but the left can't let kids be kids. They can't. They have, they, they exist on the old uh, Lucky Strike cigarette company model, hook them while they're young. If you indoctrinate them while they're young, look, I can I can get my kids to believe just about anything. If I really want, if I was that kind of parent, I could get them to believe almost anything. Any parent really could. Every parent knows that you can convince a kid just of the craziest things. And it's funny for a while on certain things, but you could really do some serious damage long-term, convince them of something that isn't true and just keep inundating them with it year after year, day after day. You don't do that because you're not a jerk. The left wants to do that because they need justification. They need external justification for their existence. That's the problem with so much of the left. That's the problem with all of this gender identity garbage is you're looking externally for validation of your existence and you're never going to find it. It doesn't matter how many people bow to your whims. Oh, you get a real warm feeling going, oh, they're, they're now referring to me as they, them or Z or whatever kind of ridiculous pronoun you created and you're super proud of yourself. But in the morning... You're just as hollow and empty and vacant and void as you were beforehand because it's meaningless, it's superficial. If you don't have it in you, uh, you're never going to have it in you. You're never going to be able to put it in you. Oh, that's getting dirty, but that's not what I mean. You know what I mean. You're never going to be able to get external validation that matters to you as much as or anywhere near as close as you just simply accepting who you are, getting used to it. The left is constantly demanding external validation. They didn't get it from their parents. 
probably because they were bad people and uh, horrible children. But for whatever reason, they didn't get it, and they're now demanding it's like Revenge of the Nerds on a worldwide scale, except the nerds are the bad guys. And they're going, oh, you know, you've got to respect my pronouns. You will respect my pronouns. We're going to teach a fifth grader about what it means to be gender fluid. Hmm. Tells you something about the people upset about the uh, Florida law, that they really are upset. First of all, they're dumb and haven't read the bill or haven't even read an accurate story of the bill. And any reporter who refers to it as the don't say gay bill is just propagating leftist garbage and not reality, not reporting. But it tells you something about these people that they would believe that. And it tells you something more about them, something more disturbing. Something that I would not want anywhere near my children. That there are all of these adults giddy at the prospect of teaching kindergartners about gay sex, straight sex, any kind of sex. That's what this bill prevents. Teachers, now it doesn't say if a kid comes up and says, I have a question, teacher, that the teacher has to then shove the kid in the closet and run away and, and immediately call a union representative. No means that teacher as part of the curriculum can't bring this garbage up. You can't use vocabulary words that I, I can't even repeat right now. That's what it does. They're lying about it because the left has to lie. It's all they have is lies. But imagine all of these adults. If they don't know, they're just spreading ignorance. If you want to be generous and say, hey, look at that Mark Hamill, that Luke Skywalker, he doesn't know what he's talking about. If he does know, then he's giddy at the prospect of teaching sexually explicit things to kindergartners, first graders, and second graders. I don't know which option is worse, people speaking authoritatively on things that they have no firsthand knowledge of and are completely ignorant of, but then that's the entire cable news model, or a whole bunch of perverts who can't wait to talk about sex to kids. Meanwhile... I started to do this a while ago, and we're going to do it more often, these uh, lunatics on the left who post their TikTok videos, and they're just demented. And it gives you a peek behind the, the curtain of their mind, the thin veneer. It's not even a curtain. It's like a tissue paper. And the desperate, desperate cries for acceptance. And this is exactly what I mean by a desperate cry for external validation. If you exist and you're comfortable with who you are you don't give a damn about what the rest of the world thinks you certainly don't need to post videos telling everybody these are my pronouns and this is what i do and this is how i am and you look at you and you got 15 different spikes through your face and you clearly have like hair that shows you that uh, your parents either beat you too much or not enough i don't know which i had that hair my parents beat me the right amount but i was still just rebellious i didn't go into this stupidity but uh, this lib of TikTok feels compelled to let the world know this. This is all of these, these, these people. This is the insecurity. They go, the world needs to know. I need that external validation. I will post a video of myself wearing a G-string, even though I'm 700 pounds, or uh, somebody who could never make it through an airport metal detector with all the metal in their face going, this is my gender story, and this is true. This person uh, 
is basically doing that. There's not that many spikes through their face, although there are plenty of spikes through their face. Purple and black hair, bad makeup, nail polish that is three different colors, not every other nail. Somebody spent some time. Each fingernail is three different colors. And uh, this is a message of your typical leftist Democrat voter in what they think the world needs to know. Not this, but that. Here's a gender-inclusive tip. Instead of referring to someone's sex at birth as biologically male or biologically female, instead use assigned male at birth or assigned female at birth. The emphasis being here on the word assigned and that it was the doctor who made that decision. And the assignment might align with how the person feels about their gender identity, or it may not. An important distinction because this honors the fact that trans people are who they are. Oh, it honors the fact that trans people are who they are. And God knows all I want to do when I get up in the morning is honor the fact that transgender people are who they are. I don't know about you, but my feet don't hit the floor before my first thought is, boy, how today can I honor that trans people are the way that they are? No, that's not how the world works. Not how the world should work. Leave people the hell alone. Mind your own damn business. Get a circle of friends who will accept you for whatever your weirdness is and just be content with that. That's all you can hope for. This idea that you're going to force everybody else to, well, here's how you talk about gender inclusivity. Here's how you talk about telling somebody to go take a long walk off a short pier, okay? Now, this may uh, seem like a distinctly American problem, but it is not. One of our major exports in this country is victimhood and this insane wokeness that needs to be destroyed. And so we go over to the United Kingdom. The uh, Labour government is not in power right now. Conservatives are the Tories. They're not super conservative. They're certainly not like we think of conservatives here. But they're less, slightly less socialist. They're, they are uh, friendly to capitalism. As such, they have shadow governments, which are ministers and things that are members of parliament who would be in these positions if their party were not a minority party. One such is the Shadow Equalities Minister, Annalise Dodds, Dodds, plural, or with an S at the end of it. She was on the BBC and she was asked a very basic question, very basic question about uh, gender, and she couldn't answer it. She couldn't answer. Got two clips here from it. The first one is relatively short, sets up the second one. She tosses a word salad. She's hoping in this first clip, uh, Annalise Dodds, shadow equalities minister, she's hoping against hope that the BBC presenter will not notice that she's not going to answer this question or she can't answer this question. And so when asked about gender, this this was a beautiful exchange. Labour's definition of a woman? Well, I have to say that there are different definitions legally around what a woman actually is. I mean, you look at the definition within the Equality Act, and I think it just says um, uh, someone who is um, adult and female, I think, but then doesn't say how you define either of those things. I mean, obviously, that's then, uh, you've got the biological definition, legal definition. No, no, I don't, I, 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 with respect, I didn't ask <laughs> for that. What, what's, what's the Labour definition? <laughs> well, it's adult and female, but we don't know what those words mean. You really, you don't know what, you're like an adult. You're 40, 50, something like that. You don't know what those words mean. You got no clue. Couldn't even take a wild flyer on that thing. No, no idea. Could be so many things. <laughs> Insane. Now you heard the presenter go, no, no, no. I want to know what the Labor Party's definition of a woman is. It's 
pretty simple question. She circles back. And now uh, equali- Shadow Equalities Minister Annalise Dodds tries to explain what labor the Labor Party's definition of a woman is. It, it's just a, it's a mess. It's a word salad. I wanted to play the whole thing just because I want you to hear the uh, the pretzel that leftists twist themselves in over the monster that they've created. Well, um, I think with respect, Emma, I think it does depend uh, what the context is, surely. I mean, surely that is important here. You know, there are people who have decided to uh, that they have to make that transition. You know, I've spoken with uh, many of them. It's been a very difficult process for many of those people. And, you know, understandably, because they live as a as a woman, you know, they want to be uh, defined as a woman. That's what the gender recognition no, no, act, con- again, a labour con- uh, is brought into place. Context is all, but trans women are women, from your perspective. Is that right? But, but then when you come to the Equality Act and, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going no, no, to No, no, you're just Shadow <laughs> Women and Equalities Minister. I've been asked this by about eight messages here and I'm just trying to, to clarify because the, the government's been very clear it's not going ahead in England with the process of self-identification. So that's why I'm asking you. Well, I don't, I don't think the government has been very clear in many aspects of well, this. Well, it But when it comes to the operation of the single sex exemptions, you know, that is spelled out within... The Equality Act, quite rightly, I mean, when it comes no, no, to I, sport, you've for said, example, you've said, you've said it says that, that you can have single-sex, uh, sorry, if I can just finish, you can have uh, uh, that single-sex exemption, for example, if that's necessary for the safety uh, of participants in sport or if it's necessary uh, in order to ensure fair competitions. That is spelled out within the Act. You know, I think it's really important that we're actually looking at what the legislation I've read it out. I've, I've read it out several times, and I'm sure Great. I will Good. continue to do so. I was just she has no clue. She ha- She can't define what the word woman means to the Labour Party. No clue. Not a single clue. <laughs> it's like, how do you do that? How do you do that as a human being? How can you do that? How can you talk for that long and say nothing? Whatever a man is, you can say a woman is whoever feels like a woman. That you know, In today's day and age, that would be enough. You just have to say it. It's not true, but you could say it, and the presenter at the BBC would be perfectly fine with that. She couldn't even bring herself to do that because they're so terrified that they created this this minefield that even they're terrified, horrified, frightened to death of having to navigate, that they don't know how to do it. Now, the irony of ironies is the uh, the day after that disastrous interview, Maybe it was even the same day. It was International Women's Day. <laughs> International Women's Day, ladies and gentlemen. So I hope that uh, you're all, all you women out there had a lovely International Women's Day. It was yesterday. And so, as the Shadow Equalities Minister, Annalise Dodd, released a video celebrating International Women's Day. She can't even define. You just heard two minutes of her struggling to define what the hell a woman is. How can she celebrate International Women's Day? I I don't know what a woman is, but congratulations to women. And anybody who feels like a woman, except if you're a woman who feels like a man, or you think that would be your muzzled, muffled message on International Women's Day, you would be wrong. 
You would be wrong. It's as if Serve Pro came through and wiped clean everything. It's as if it never even happened. Listen to her message on International Women's Day that she put out on social media. Today is International Women's Day, a time to celebrate the victories women have won in the fight for equality. Labour governments have been a key part of that fight, radically improving support for women in their work and family lives. We are the party of the Equal Pay Act, the Sex Discrimination Act, the Equality Act, the Minimum Wage and Sure Start. And almost 100 years since the first women Labour MPs were elected, today we have gender parity in our parliamentary party. Oh, we're so good about what we do. We're not going to steal your lucky charms. And oh, by the way, we're celebrating women, although I don't know what a woman is. Don't ask me. I'm going to run away screaming like a girl, although not a girl. It could be a boy. Any... Oh, Lord, this is your brain on liberalism or crack or both. Oh, by the way, did you see that? This is kind of funny. And I'm not sure how it would work. Like McDonald's has closed 850 stores in Russia because of Ukraine. They've temporarily closed them. So I guess like that actually is... That's a joke here. I'm not sure I want to make it. I won't make it. It's more of a thing like, well, now they're not going to get diabetes? Like, what? It, what how is that? Punish, punish Russia by keeping the McDonald's open. huh? Keeping the Coca-Cola flowing. Keep that. The KFCs, they've pulled out... I don't know if there's does anybody in Russia even know what the hell Kentucky is when it comes to KFC, but if they do, they can't get KFC chicken anymore, at least for now, which is just really, really weird. It's virtue signaling. I don't think they're making it's like the the Disney's when they said Disney, we're going to not release movies to Russia now because of the outrageous actions that they've taken. Like, well, how much money was the Russian box office for you? It wasn't. Wasn't much. Right now, actively, China is committing genocide against the Uyghurs. They've got, what, two million, a million, two million people in jail, in re-education camps, in concentration camps, working them as slaves for the benefit of many of these companies or parent companies or companies that these companies have stock in. And, uh, you know, Coke and Pepsi ain't pulling out of China. No way. Disney ain't not releasing its movies in China. McDonald's is not shutting down. However, I'd bet it's more than a thousand locations inside of China. What you're witnessing, look, I'm in favor of it. Anything that helps the Russian people feel the pain and become educated on what their government is doing and maybe leading to them to stand up to their government is a good thing. Anything that hurts the economy and therefore hurts Vladimir Putin is a good thing. But all the credit that these companies want for doing these things is undeserved, wildly undeserved, because they're all actively engaged with China in a way that is much deeper, much more important and ain't going anywhere than they are with the government of Russia. This is virtue signaling. Now, there's a place for virtue signaling. It's virtue signaling, sending a message, and hopefully that message will be received. I'm not discounting that. I'm just drawing the uh, juxtaposition between the way they treat Russia and the way they treat China. Hmm? 
Now, again, China's messing with its own citizenry. But still, evil is evil, right? Or isn't it? By the way, Ilhan Omar, it's kind of funny. They're going to vote to uh, ban Russian oil. Ilhan Omar said that she will vote against voting to uh, ban Russian oil. Said, according to the headline, quote, citing the devastating impact on the Russian people. The funny thing is, Ilhan Omar has voted to strip funding from the Iron Dome missile defense program in Israel. Full U.S. nothing. She wants it stripped. She doesn't want the Iron Dome is a whole bunch of rockets that we make and uh, we sell them to Israel. She didn't want that. She wanted it all shut down. She wanted it all shut down, actively shut down. She was happy with that because it would have led to the deaths of countless Jews. But when it comes to the devastating impact on the Russian people, that is apparently a bridge too far for Madame Mary's her brother, or whatever the hell she's being called to this week. And oh, by the way, just to show you how unserious this whole thing is, you sit there and you think, well, our government's very serious, taking this seriously. No. In a story dated yesterday from the Hill newspaper, President Biden will request $2.6 billion for foreign assistance programs that will promote general equality worldwide, he announced on International Women's Day on Tuesday. That's right. That's it. Promoting equality, promoting gender equality worldwide. $2.6 billion for gender where our $30 trillion in debt. We're on the verge of a possible war with Russia. Our military is more interested in pronouns than anything else. And Joe Biden wants $2.6 billion for gender equality. I want to shift gears uh, a little bit more domestically back to uh, my birth state of Michigan. I, I don't bring this up because it matters in the grand scheme of things. I just bring it up so in the hope, in the hope, it's it's... It seems like a futile hope sometimes that these politicians, these people running for office, and yes, if you're running for office, you're a politician. If you're elected to office, you're a politician. It doesn't matter. As I'm not a politician. Okay, well, the second you run for office, you're kind of a politician. And then if you win, you're definitely a politician. Just saying. But I want to just illustrate this because A, it's stupid, and B, it it demonstrates how the media works and the different uh, different ways that the media works. If you remember Todd Akin, remember Todd Akin? He was running for Senate in Missouri back in, what year was that? 2010, I think it was. I don't know Todd Akin. I never met Todd Akin. I think he was a member of the House of Representatives before he was running for the Senate. And he made a comment that was so just wildly stupid but there was no real pulling up from it. He said that, and talking about women and abortion and rape, he said, well, if it's a legitimate rape, a woman's body has a way to shut down so it doesn't get pregnant. It's biologically stupid. It's politically, st- like there's nothing remotely smart about it. It's a stupid on every level. It's, it's a seven-layer dessert of stupidity right there. And so uh, he ended up, I, I don't remember if he dropped out of the race, whatever he lost. He, he was just terrible. He was wildly stupid. He tried to 
cover for it, but there was no good way to do it. And you've got to be a special kind of stupid to think that. Like, honestly, to go, oh, yeah, no, the body shuts. Don't worry if it's legitimate rape. So you're saying that every woman who's been raped who got pregnant was was secretly into it? It wasn't legitimate, Senator Wannabe? And that became a massive issue for every Republican. Every It was 2012, because I remember now, because Mitt Romney had to answer for Todd Akin's stupidity. And then there were a couple of other people who'd said something really stupid. And Mitt Romney was always asked, what do you think? Will you denounce this? Should Todd Akin drop out of the race? Should you, should you force Todd? Will you force him off the ticket? Like, you can't. You can't. The media was just stupid. There's never any, there are a lot of Democrats who say wildly stupid things, offensive things, racist things, constantly. And they're never held to account for it. The way I put it is every Republican is responsible for whatever any Republican says. And no Democrat is responsible for anything any Democrat says, including themselves. Well, in that example, we have another Republican saying something stupid. There is a guy named Robert R.J. Regan in Michigan. He's running for a state Senate job. He's probably going to get it. But it just lets you know that maybe maybe either gets smarter, R.J., or um, maybe find a better candidate to challenge him. And I get it. I get what he's trying to say here. But this guy is famous because last election cycle, his daughter tweeted out, like, for God's sakes, whatever you do, don't vote for my father when he was running for something. And he ended up losing that race. His daughter, his teenage daughter. Now, I'm, I don't have teenage daughters yet. I'm sure it's a chore. My dad told me that raising girls is easy until they're about 12 or 13. Then they think they know everything and they're miserable to be around. And then when they're like 18 or so, they come back to normal. I don't know yet. And I experience that. I will know. Uh, but maybe that's what happened with Mr. Regan. I don't know. But he was on a podcast and he's making, and his argument is, I'm making an analogy. I'm using an analogy. And he is using an analogy. And it is, it's an analogy that kind of applies. But that's not the point. You have to recognize what your opponents are going to do to you. That's kind of important. You don't sell ammunition to your opponents. You just don't. It's very profitable. It's very easy. Don't do it. Politics, you don't do it. What am I talking about? Listen to the analogy that R.J. Regan makes here about rape. Yeah, yeah, that's rape reported there is no evidence of voter fraud that would warrant decertifying Michigan's electors. And when other guests on the show pushed back, Regan said this. You know, having three daughters and I tell my daughters, well, if rape is inevitable, you should just lie back and enjoy it. So um, that's not how we roll. That's not how I won this election. We go right at it. Now, he's trying to make an argument about the 2020 elections in Michigan, and he was objecting to it. He was trying to get it decertified and all that, blah, blah, blah. And he said, it's basically, he's going to fight no matter how lost the cause seems to be, no matter how few facts you have, whatever it is. And he's saying, well, basically, what am I going to do? Tell my daughters they're being raped, that it's going to happen, so they might as well lay back and enjoy it. The analogy makes sense. It's dumb, but it makes sense if you really think about it. 
and you really shouldn't think about it. But you shouldn't make that. If you're going to run for office, you have to be smart enough not to make those types of analogies because exactly what would happen is going to happen. Now, it's not as bad as Todd Akin, this idea of, well, legitimate rape versus rape, rape versus non-legitimate rape versus she just really, she said no, but she really meant yes, is wildly stupid. And it's way dumber than this. But as a guy who already has his daughter tweeting, for God's sakes, don't vote for my dad. Should you really be using your daughter in a rape analogy? No, you shouldn't. Should you be using a rape analogy? No, you shouldn't. That should be your first rule of thumb. Rule number one, don't make rape analogies. There's nothing analogous to rape, okay? Not when it comes to human beings. You want to talk about the land? Then fine, go ahead. But you want to talk about human beings? It ends right there. You don't bring up your teenage daughters. You don't do this, that, and the other thing. There is no equivocation, period, end of story. Problem solved. Now watch, this is a low, he's running for state office. So every state Republican in Michigan is going to be asked about this. It just is. This is how it works. The state of Michigan has one of the worst, worst governors in the country, Gretchen Whitmer. She is not super popular, but not super unpopular. Republicans have a chance of taking the state. But you could end up in a situation where in 2012, Barack Obama was not all that wildly popular. Obamacare had made him unpopular. Mitt Romney, not exactly super exciting, but was seen as a viable alternative, an acceptable alternative for Barack Obama because Barack Obama was so bad. Then all this superfluous garbage started coming up and Mitt Romney was asked more times about Todd Akin and whatever other people said, more so than his own policy proposals. That could happen in Michigan. This probably won't, but it could end up damaging Republicans' chances of taking the governor's mansion in Michigan. I hope not. Getting rid of Governor Whitmer would be a wonderful message to send because the media tried to prop her up as some sort of savior and she killed thousands of senior citizens in nursing homes. Just if you're going to run for office, think before you speak. It's not that hard. And if you can't do it, don't speak and don't run. We're out of time for today. I appreciate the use of your ears. Thank you for listening. Have a great one.